0: so you think you can belto. I'm Jessica Harper, a soprano and hot beverage enthusiast based in Antwerp.
1: And I'm Jeremy Bolton, a coffee-obsessed lyric baritone based in Munich.
0: (laughs) Jeremy and I have created this podcast to empower emerging artists across Australia and the world with access to the direct knowledge and related experiences of operatic artists and practitioners.
1: We aim to help inform emerging artists with this podcast resource and to hold a mirror to the opera system so that artists can make their own individually informed decisions about auditions, competitions, engagements and more.
0: You'll hear everything from in-depth artist interviews to long-form panel discussions on topics concerning emerging artists.
1: Hi everyone, it's Jeremy Bolton here. I just wanted to jump in quickly before we commence these two interviews with these fabulous repetitors, young emerging repetitors to explain why we decided to do this episode today. Repetiteurs are the unsung heroes of the opera theaters and they really help stage rehearsals happen, piano dress rehearsals happen, and they coach the singers. They help with uh, repertoire and ensuring that people are ready for the rehearsals. They are very special people. They reduce a whole orchestra into two hands on a piano ...as their day job, and I think that's absolutely incredible. Of course, there are reductions made, but they know how to bring out certain voices. They understand the function of the parts that uh, one must hear in a rehearsal to, to make it work. These are very special people, and I hope that today is an introduction into what they do, how they like to work... ...and I hope, particularly towards the end of the podcast, when you hear from Martin... I hope uh, someone who is aspiring to become a repetitor or is interested in exploring this area, I hope that they can take that advice and begin to run with that, and perhaps also look at finding a mentor, as Christina did, to introduce her into this world. Thank you very much. Enjoy these two interviews with Christina and Martin, two people who we will hopefully have on again to discuss things in more depth. At length and we'll also have some fabulous repetitors coming on in future as well that's Jeremy Bolton over and out and we go to Christina Christina welcome to so you think you can Belto thank you for joining us tell us a bit about yourself give us a, a nice sort of overview of where you where you came from where you studied what sort of made you go in the direction of uh repetitorship i suppose and uh <laughs> there's, there's all these words we sort of have to still sort out in opera and, and what led you to doing what you're doing right now
2: i am i'm in bulgarian and i started studying the piano when i was five years old Sorry, studying the piano i started playing the piano when i was five years old mm-hmm. um, and i've actually always done solo until quite late into my college years um, you know, I studied a bit in Germany as a kid, and then I moved back to Bulgaria. That's a very fast forward. Um, but it will be relevant for the opera work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I went to do my bachelor and my master's studies in Scotland in Glasgow, the Royal Conservatory of Scotland. Um, so both my bachelor and my master's is still in solo piano, but, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, well, life will show a lot of my friends ended up being singers um, so my way into opera really was just, um, helping my friends out through their recitals and just doing a lot of gigs with them and, uh, realizing that actually I love working with singers and I love the repertoire. I love working with words. Um, and yeah, that just kind of slowly became more and more of my interests. Um, however, I still finished both my bachelor's and my master's very focused on the piano solo And then only after master's, really, that was 2019, did I spend my first year out of official education. Um, And I spent this year kind of playing for leader classes at the conservatoire, but I was not studying anymore. And um, just helping out one of the vocal coaches that year. So she is really my way in. So her Her name is Julia Lynch. And uh, she was the main accompanist for the whole vocal department of the conservatory when I was studying there. After my master's, really, after my last exam, I was a bit lost and I wasn't sure what that I wanted to continue doing solo. So I just asked her out for coffee and I asked her, can she be my mentor? And I'd love to learn from her. Mm, mm. So I just started observing her coachings and mm. helping her out. And that led to her inviting me to come to the Masquerade Opera Studio in Florence, which she and her husband, Ralph Schele set up, um, which began its first year in 2020, during COVID. So I was part of the first um, group of artists that they had. um, And yeah, and that begins my official opera journey. So Florence, Italy and um, Masquerade Opera Studio. So I spent two years there um you know, with, with a different group of singers, um, because they, they changed from year to the from the first year to the second. And um yeah, it was extremely inspiring being there. Um because we were working in a very small group and we get to really um just work one to one with every singer. Um, through a lot of repertoire, and you know a lot of different experiences, which I'm sure you will get into more detail with later on in the conversation. But, masquerade for two years, and this year I am a emerging artist, a at Scottish Opera. Excellent. So that is my journey so far.
1: <laughs> it's been very busy, and um, I can tell, and particularly doing the switch. Everyone does it sort of differently. I've noticed with reps, they do the switch from solo piano to perhaps repping, or they, more and more now, I think I see people going into conservatoires, doing an undergraduate in, they call it collaborative piano now, <laughs> which, is, um, which yes. is the new new terminology, I guess. And so really everyone makes that different journey. I even know, I have a, have a friend of mine who went from playing organ to being a rep or, and playing solo piano and various keyboard instruments to being, being a rep. So how do you think coming from solo piano equipped you to deal with uh reductions and you know sort of the the that you have to play from the the reduction scores
2: Mm. well i think solo piano has been very useful in the sense of um really mastering your technique and mastering the instrument because as much as yes it's about playing the reductions and understanding your casual score you know a lot of things are still technically demanding and the amount of hours of playing required, um, often you know I know a lot of people that it it leads to injury, and so actually, the the the, the solo education and really you know dealing with a lot of the difficult repertoire and technical uh, challenges really helps with and you know a lot of the opera repertoire, you just you just learn better how, you know your your how your hands and how your body works so that you can, you can you can reduce it in a way that it's comfortable to play but that you're able to play it for that many hours as well. So I, th- I think that's probably the biggest advantage to a solo background.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, when I have conversation with reps, they always discuss what to leave in, what to leave out when you're playing, particularly when it's quite a yeah. stacked uh, piano part or or something like that. So did you find that you, when as you were transitioning, beca- coming from piano to, to being a rep, did you find that you had to learn how to leave things out or in?
2: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. In fact, I can give you an example just from the most recent opera that mm. I was doing. So um mm. uh, still kind of going on, but Carmen, you know, there is a lot of, there are a lot of notes in Carmen, especially in all the chorus numbers, mm. which are completely impossible to play. And, um, you know, even the beginning of act four, that is notoriously hard, a lot of repeated notes. Um, and... In the rehearsal process, I found, first of all, the chorus rehearsals, you know, you have to play louder than, for, like, 45 people singing, Um, and, you know, you realize that, okay, actually, like, the bass is most important, and, you know, you just play a few notes here and there, but you do keep the rhythm going, or, you know, what, what gives the most effects. But I would say what you'd play in a rehearsal room, when you know you'll repeat it a lot of times, versus what you'll play in a run of the piece, or if you do a concert performance of a ensemble or aria differs so you know there's moments where you just do the practical thing of the the minimum skeleton of the piece and then there's times where you actually will do the work to see how can you make it most orchestral and most beautiful Um, but that's definitely a learning curve that comes with a lot of experience
0: Mm. Mm,
1: mm, absolutely and that would change throughout the rehearsal process I guess when you were playing when you're playing something like a piano dress rehearsal, like the last ones before the orchestra come into the pit, you exactly. need to basically give them everything, don't
3: you?
2: Yes. And especially there, because, you know, you, you're playing in the pit and, you know, they just, they just have the speakers on the stage to hear what you're playing. And exactly, that's where you put the most effort to be the orchestra, actually, and hear, in play, mm. just make everybody, give the energy to the room, really. Because I think it can be, you know, stage and pianos and piano rehearsals can get quite low on energy, and in mm. the end, you know, you have to bring it because everybody's automatically excited when they hear the orchestra. Like it's much more, you know, it, it's, it's usually the last stage of the rehearsal process as well. But, you know, you need to have this, um, yeah, you need to have this energy to some extent and the rest.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we, when we look at a situation like a, a rehearsal room, let's say a staging rehearsal, I'd love you to Mm -hmm. expand on what a rep has to do in terms of being aware of the rehearsal room. So, for instance, you run a scene, there's something inevitably goes wrong, the register, the director sort of goes, calls a stop, the conductor will stop. And then, basically, you've got this period where something's being fixed. You can't hear what's going on in the room, necessarily. How do you sort of stay mentally, you know, oh, like I've got to play in two seconds when Maestro puts the downbeat. How do you sort of keep your stamina? Do you pace yourself during those pauses or are you sort of just trying to rest as much as possible before you have to suddenly jump into it again?
2: Hmm. I think that changes throughout the production process. Um, I think that is one of the most challenging things, actually, to keep yourself awake and aware and on top of it. Um, but I think in the beginning, when you don't know the piece so well and you don't know the room so well, absolutely, I, I pay it as much attention as possible to what the director is doing. And, you know, if I've seen what they staged, I will be aware of sort of what place in the music that might be. um. And so often it is actually the case that the conductor might not be so in the moment. And then they will ask, you know, and you have to kind of help the conductor out to know where to start from. That's happened quite a lot, so it's sort. Of, it was sort of my responsibility to really follow where the direct, what director is talking about, and um, but in the beginning, you you know, you really have to have all your eyes and ears out to know, and then of course, you know, weeks are in, you know, the production, you know, what it looks like, so it's just you know, it's easier, so you don't have to work so hard, and also by then you'd really know the piece as well, so um, but I I'd say one hundred percent listen as much as you can and hopefully you can hear something of what they're saying. <laughs> I think usually in the rehearsal room you will hear what they're saying. Mm. You know, mm. in a stage rehearsal, that's, in a stage and piano, that's where you have no idea what's going on.
1: Yeah. And um, then you really, you really have to take your direction then from the conductor if you're in the pit.
2: Yes. I also think the stage and pianos are much harder to play because um, you can't hear the people on stage or you can hear them a little bit and you should really ignore your ears because it might there might be delay in what you hear, um, you know, whereas in the rehearsal you yes, you follow the conductor, but we automatically follow the singers sometimes, and in the stage and piano you have to one hundred percent just go with what you see um, yeah, so that's I think that that's much harder, and it's harder to keep present because again you you cannot see or hear what's going on, on stage, so you're completely um dependent on when the conductor tells you to start from.
0: Mm,
1: mm. Absolutely, and keeping it together would be would, would be very important. And we we see that because you know pits are so difficult, and I don't look. I don't know much about all of this sort of stuff, but I remember one night Jessica Pratt, who was a guest in our last season, um, she came to Sydney to sing Lucia, and when it came to the mad mm. scene, when usually the glass harmonica come comes out. Um, They did it with the flute, of course, which is quite common. Um, And I did speak to Richard Bonning about this. I said, what do you think about using the flute? And he said, there's nothing wrong with using the flute. It's great. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Which I thought was very interesting. Um, But uh, I saw the the flautist come out and uh, put it on the stand and stood there and actually watched Jessica Pratt while she played. And it was a really interesting interaction. But I guess being a rep in the pit, you've got the conductor. You're probably just taking literally everything, aren't you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just very strange. You know, it feels like in rehearsal, you're making music together and the pit doesn't feel like it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a strange thing. And it's a really, you know, behind the scenes sort of job, isn't it? Because you're doing everything with the singers one-to-one coaching them and take them, taking them through things. But then you're also working in, in the room, in the staging rehearsals. Um, When you're preparing a singer in a coaching, though... They, they, they obviously take the advice on and then take it to the conductor. So I suppose there's a point where the conductor's say would, would be the final say if there was a certain approach to something. What has been your experience there? Are you able to get on board with what the conductor's approach is before uh, they go to rehearsals? Or do you just sort of have to go with your instincts on these things?
2: Mm-hmm. I think so. The, the two main productions that I was involved in this year were Il Tritico by Puccini and then uh. Carmen. Um, for the tritical, um, we had a session of all the music stuff with the conductor that we were all just got together and sort of sang the parts and played the parts and oh. kind of went through the whole piece discussing that, oh, that's probably going to be an issue, that might be an issue. Oh, we have this person that's cast for this, this person's cast for this. These are the things we kind of expect from them. And, and it just kind of, yeah, the whole kind of music team talked through the Pieces, So you sort of already knew what the conductor's ideas were, mm. which I think to be fair, that sounds, that was very useful. That was very, very useful because then everybody was sort of on the same page because then suddenly our head coach was preparing the principles, you know, then the chorus masters going with the chorus and everybody's sort of doing their little bits.
0: Mm. And,
2: you know, it was already made sure that, yeah, the tempi are agreed. We know what's going on, on all parts. And it made our preparation much easier. Um so that was good. And then um I wasn't directly involved in the coaching of the principals because, you know, being as a Yap member, you know, mm. I'm um you know, that's quite a big responsibility to have. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But I was <laughs> I was involved, I did go um through all the through a few of the main roles with the covers. So mm. in coaching them, my job mainly and again it it I found it extremely interesting, um, because I mean, I suppose until you're involved in all the process, you don't realize how many things are going on behind the scenes. Mm. But mm. coaching the covers, I mean, they haven't been to any rehearsal, so my job mostly is under you know, I-, I know their parts, I know the conductor's tempi, I know the c- how you know how he beats certain things, I know how he mm. handles certain roles and tempo changes. So in going with them through the roles, you know, I just so- sort of kind of walk them through you know, what, what, you know, what the conductor is doing, you know, and just making sure their entries are right and kind of just, th- they know what's happening because they only really get to see, you know, final floor running when we go to stage rehearsals. Mm. Um, so at least, you know, that's kind of how it works um, here at the opera, um, at Scottish opera. So that's been one, one side of the preparation that I found interesting um, mm. with Carmen, um. Yeah, I think there's just you know there's always like three four days of music calls for everyone before we start production. So that's when you find out how everybody does the things. Um, and again with Carmen, I haven't actually been less involved with with the music prep because I was away for a bit. And um, but again, you know, through the production, it's always the conductor say really, um, or the conductor plus head coach negotiate. <laughs> um and. Yes, and then it's just, again, if if you're a bit um, lower on the hierarchy, it's it's usually my job to, yes, to communicate that to the people that have not been there for all the rehearsals, mm. which is, you know, it's it's really interesting in its own right. And then when we get to stage and orchestras, then the reps, we, you know, our job changes again in terms of um, now suddenly I'm taking notes for the conductor, now we're looking for the balance in the hall. You know, and just checking again, if if things are together, um, if certain things that were okay in the rehearsal room are okay on stage or not, can you hear, um, you know, keeping track of all the singers' mistakes that happening along the way, you know, so there's a lot of things going on, um, yeah, I think it's it's realizing that kind of the rep's job is kind of doing everything, mm. so yeah, you're playing for the rehearsals in the room but then the conductor will come to you with notes and then you have to communicate them to the singers. Maybe you'll be taking singers away for a coaching during the production just to work out some corners. So, you know, it's very involved, very involved. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, that's that's so fascinating. And in the, in the context of an organization, everyone has to pull their weight with, I guess, different strengths and different responsibilities as to what they're doing. So... I guess taking on the covers would have been a really interesting exercise, you know, because covers, you know, being young, usually a younger or um, a lot of people who do covers often do a number of covers during a season. So they might get cover contracts, I suppose. I don't know everything about it, but that's my understanding. And so they're usually very keen to work. Is that what you find in that they want to actually get it as good as possible in the case that they do go on?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think that was definitely the case. And then we had a cover did go on at Ah. one point in the, in the tritical and uh, you know, and it worked fine. Thankfully, you know, everything was good, but uh, yeah, no, they are all keen to work. I mean, I think it's quite universal. I don't think anybody likes sitting around and doing nothing. Everybody wants to actually do stuff. Yeah. (laughs) um, You know, if you're somewhere for a contract, so every everybody is looking forward to having a music call and everybody is looking forward to, you know, having a coaching on their thing. Um, I've, I thoroughly enjoyed because I did, go through the roles of Sor Angelica and Giorgetta and Michele, ah. um, you know, with the covers. And that's where also what's required, you know, the things that reps are required to do in auditions comes into play. So, you know, because we're asked to, oh, can you play and sing all these things? And you're like, I'll never have to play and sing. And then you go with <laughs> the cover through a role and you're like, no, no, I have to play and sing because I have to mm. sing all the characters around them and actually, you know, and go through the whole opera. So, it was really fun, but also it was quite enlightening in terms of oh yeah you no know, no it's it's not just in the rehearsal room that you might have to shout out someone's part if they're not there, you know if someone is learning a role of course you want to be able to give them context and mm. you know
1: yeah absolutely and and when you're taking someone through deeply like if you've if you've got someone you're coaching a role on my experience when I've gone to coaches. Is I'm often I tend to play the piano a bit, so I can often get all my notes, and I I like to do all that stuff before I go and see a coach, mainly to save money. But uh, basically, <laughs> you know that, that's obviously very helpful. But I mean, why don't you spend
2: money for counting and notes if you don't have to? Yeah,
1: I completely agree. Why not just learn how to play a little <laughs> bit if you can? But I find what's really helpful is getting a coach to actually check my memory, because when you're playing for yourself, you also get stuck in. Okay, well, I've got, you know, depending on how you memorize, it's always different, but, you know, you've got the music in front of you most of the time. It's hard to look away because you've got to play as well. So how often do you find are you are you helping singers with memory as well?
2: I think that was a lot of the work actually with the covers because, yeah, the first time was, okay, let's tell you the speeds and all that sort of stuff. But then, yes, everybody wanted to just go through it without the music to make sure the entries are right and, you know, there's a lot of words in, as well involved. But yeah, especially with some of the Puccini ones, the entries are very hard and tabarro. Um, have,
0: yeah.
2: So, yeah, I think a lot, most of the work was definitely memory work by mm, the end. Yeah. It's honestly, it's, you know, we always like over-intellectualize so many things, you know, but then it feels like in the workplace, you genuinely have to check, oh, yes, because, you know, the, I'm not going to teach anybody how to sing. You know, they they everybody's mm. ready to do the job, you know, and but it's just... Okay. Do you sing the right notes at the right time? Do you know what mm. the conductor is doing? And you know, is your memory there? And then, you know, they 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 you know of course you have production calls and you have directors and everything else is worked out. There's so many people involved, but it's genuinely often comes back to the basics of okay, you you have to have these things ticked and then you can probably <laughs> do the rest. You know, <laughs> yeah. When you're yeah. Doing, under time constraints, for sure.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and covers are so. Really, like uh, often they'll be covering multiple things, and so it's a big responsibility, um, to be to be doing all these covers. Yeah. And when the inevitable oh, happens, I... you know you have to do it.
2: I can't imagine. I mean, that's probably the highest pressure it can possibly get. I mean, now in our production, we Carmen wasn't the the main principal cast. Carmen she wasn't feeling great in the dress rehearsal, and so she ended up walking the role. So the cover did sing the whole evening from the side Mm. and you know and we only had like one rehearsal before or two rehearsals so that was huge pressure on her suddenly you know which she did very well but I would never want to be under that pressure that sounds (laughs) terrible
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's quite a lot of stress have you ever been in this situation uh I don't think so Um, I have been in many many various stressful performance situations including one time where I was playing the trombone in the pit and being one of the minor principals in a school musical but uh (laughs) which was quite stressful and uh quite unbelievable that I got to do that but no I've never actually had to jump in and do a cover but I do imagine that I would be very stressed particularly about memory because you don't get to get on the floor of the of the rehearsal too often I, I mean they have cover runs don't they is that is that a thing
2: Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, at least here you have, there's some cover production and there is a cover run and you have a bit of time on stage, but it is a tiny amount of time, but that's why in the end, you're like, you can't overcomplicate it. You just need to be able to do it. Mm. And, you know, and exactly like you need to be super stable because in the pressure of the moment, you're not going to be, yeah, you just need to be stable. I think that's probably the main thing.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely and and i I should just mention before we move on uh, that particularly for the Australian listeners uh dr Anka Honer Ryan has a fabulous uh i believe a paper on covering uh, that she produced for her dMA I remember going to the lecture, so anyway, just I'll put that in the show notes at some point, just moving on uh Christina, just to look at your future now and what you might want to be doing what where you might want to be going with things um what what do you, what, what is the ideal position for a, a repetitor and and does that include things like ambition for conducting and and things like that what what does the future perhaps mm. in your ideal world look like
2: oh that is a very complicated question <laughs> um i think at the moment i'm with the mindset let the future unfold itself but um so I I don't particularly have interest in conducting although Mm. I did you know the little conducting that I've done I have enjoyed more than I expected I would good Um, that's like a starting point Mm. I've always been more interested in the coaching side of things because I really really Mm. enjoy working one-to-one with singers Mm. Um, so my future currently looks like you know I I keep working on perfecting the languages because I think that's one of my strong sides um so as we spoke earlier you know getting French up to scratch Mm. alongside you know the rest
1: I think a lot of us are trying to get French up to scratch
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's hard yes um so you know that'd be good because yeah I mean I think it's just it's just so interesting and it's you know it's really liberating to to feel free and, and, and more languages and you know, and then all this repertoire and opportunities open up for you as well. Um, but yeah, I'm more interested in the coaching side. I'm looking into just continuing my experience in coaching. And whether that's in the conservatoire level or freelance coaching and, you know, maybe get a connection with some theatres. Um, that'd be great. Um, I'm doing a few auditions in the coming months and then hopefully mm. more next season. Because that's the thing. I'll be, being full-time in one place kind of limits the opportunities to audition for yes. other things. So, you know, I think um a freelance year will be um the year for for auditioning for yes. next places. Currently I'm looking more into project by project work. Um which is just you know how it works. Especially yeah. in you know in the UK currently it's um yeah it it's yeah. more that way. Uh, but we'll see. I mean I'm I'm not close to the idea to apply for you know full-time rep positions in germany that's i've been looking at that this year a lot yep um but yeah we'll see how the next months unfold great yeah
1: excellent excellent and just a few quick questions that we might end with that i might ask the other reps too <laughs> um and we'll just sort of do some short answers um what do you do for exercise and or health what can what helps you be a rep Ooh. What's best for you? Is it good sleep? Is it going for a walk? What What do you do?
2: Oh, well, uh, sleep is very important. Mm-hmm. Well, all movement. Well, this year has been more of a weightlifting year for me. <laughs> ah yes, and right. uh, yep. yes. But previously, I I've done a lot of yoga and running. I think everything, a mixture of everything is good because everybody's complaining of back pain all the time, pianists. Mm especially even young, very young pianists, everybody has problems. So it's important to just, you know, move and yep. make sure we don't hold tension and get stiff. Um,
0: yep. So, yeah.
1: Great. And what about um when you're doing an audition, what's your sort of ritual you like to do before an audition, if any?
2: Um. Actually, Yeah. Yoga meditation, just get my, you know, get my heart rate a bit lower. Um. <laughs> recently, it's, Checking the metronome, whether what I think is 120 is actually 120. Oh, that's really interesting. Because you so much of the things.
0: Because yeah, what wow. I
2: recently found out that when under pressure, uh, first of all, yeah, the sense of speed changes and, you know, often mistakes happen because you just start rushing and start at the wrong speed. Yes. So I genuinely have my metronome on before going into an audition just to... Be like, oh yeah, so the same speed feels very slow, way slower. Um, So I found that good. And check my spatial awareness. Again, under pressure. I noticed that, yeah, wrong notes often happen because you think you jump somewhere where it always works, but then the same thing doesn't work. So yeah, it's just double-checking all of these things before going into the room.
1: Yeah, wow, very interesting. And if we could wrap up sort of, it's a bit of a big question. If You have to take a little bit of time. That's fine. But what is the something, the one thing in the industry for reps that you would like to see perhaps improve or um, a situation to change a little bit? What one thing could uh, be changed to improve the lives and the working life of a repetitive?
2: Hmm. That's a very complex question. I think... Um, let me think. I have yeah. I have a thought. I need to I need to put it to words properly.
1: Take it. Take time. Yeah.
2: I think it's yeah. I I have the answer for 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 myself, and it's mostly a question that I've been asking more, to more a lot of people that I've worked with, and I think. Um, it's so the hardest thing I think with repping is actually starting out, because there is so much repertoire that you expecting to know. Um, and every you suddenly have to know all of these things and styles and languages and whatever. If, again, all the kind of yaps and programs um, that are helping people getting into rep, repping, it would be nice to have a, a bit more of a guide of like, okay, just tell me 15 operas or something, just some main things that could be the first blocks that you're like right, I don't have to worry about all the repertoire out there,
0: mm.
2: but these things, I can build on because I think a lot of the first years are just very overwhelming with, where do you start, so I I think that would be, the the one thing, to to have a bit more structure from the start, in terms yes. of yeah repertoire and just like one or two, skills that that you know you can work on just to make it less overwhelming because I think, most of the time it's you you're thrown like so many things are thrown you do at the same time, and it's just kind of surviving it
1: yeah, I can completely understand that, and there is so much repertoire and nowadays, I think more gets thrown into i mean generally around the world, the canon the opera canon is always sort of there, but new works are getting commissioned some commissions can attract grant funds which houses might like to do or they might like to just uh, explore some new avenue and that often means new repertoire perhaps stuff that hasn't got a recording that no one's ever heard of maybe it's not in your mother tongue and so there's just so much to learn and i think we were discussing this um when when we saw each other at the christina you know this this whole thing of when someone walks into a room or um or you're working with someone, or you're just having casual coffee with someone, and they're like, oh, you haven't heard of this opera before? Like, how can you not know this opera? But the reality is everyone's experience is different. And, and you know, you've come from this solo yeah. piano background. I don't know much about piano concerti. Um, you know, what am I meant to know? So I guess that's a big part of it, isn't yeah. it, as well?
2: Yeah, I think it is absolutely the thing of having, okay, just in your first that many years of rapping, aim to learn these things. You know five Mozarts, you know Donizetti Bellini, or something, and then learn things about the style of each one and what to look out for, how you know play recit. just like very very basic thing i mean they're not basic, but it's just mm. particular goals to have um and again, you know this is very idealistic because of course if you are doing if you are if you are being a rap and you are doing a yap, you will be doing the repertoire the people around you are singing and doing. Mm. Um, but I think if, if in the programs is structured that, okay, you're doing all of these things, but actually some of your time is like, you know, your self-development time in terms of, you still have to learn this repertoire, no Mm. matter what your side stuff is, then that, that's, that's a nice way to be like, okay, I know one, one Verdi, you know, one German, what is specific, what is different about this? You know, I, I think that will be very useful.
0: Mm.
1: Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Christina. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we might speak to you again in the future. Thank you very much.
2: Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so
0: much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And as Martin pours his glass of water here in Dortmund, he looks at me thinking, what the hell is about to happen (laughs) on this random podcast?
3: (laughs) What did I get roped into? Yeah,
1: that's it. That's it. So, I'm here with Martin Lejalko. Is that your preferred pronunciation?
3: Um, Lee Halko. Lee Halko? Yeah. Why didn't you tell me that before? It's <laughs> That's or- not a big deal for me. <laughs> <Lee Halko. laughs> I love the variations of my name that appear across the world. But okay. um, it's a uh, Spanish J, so Lee yeah.
1: Halko. Lee Halko. Um, yeah. Ah, very good. Well, I'm here with Martin because he is a rep at the Auckland Studio NRV in Germany. We're in Dortmund right now. And Martin's been very, very nice to host me while I'm here doing the Belvedere competition. Oh, mate. <laughs> it was very nice. <laughs> um, so, really appreciate that. And so, and I appreciate your time as we launch this podcast, blah, blah, blah. So, tell us about your journey from the beginning. We'll try and like get this done in about 30 minutes, okay? <laughs> so, so, I sort of want to like, I sort of like want to really go from the beginning Tell us about the start and basically the journey and how you discovered repping. And then, yeah, if you could enlighten us after that about NLV and the open open Studio and things like that. So tell us about your first encounter with the piano, Martin.
3: Ooh, with the piano. I'm not even sure I remember. When I was a kid, um, I think my parents just noticed I reacted to music videos and live concerts they had the eagles on
1: (laughs) oh yeah yeah like hotel california or (laughs) yeah exactly it was
3: a live concert and um yeah they i think they had bongos at the time and they noticed i was receptive to music and then they thought of um oh well i have an older sister and she um got encouraged to do lessons and then so i guess i followed suit on the piano and so that was how i started piano just kind of doing it and enjoying time and then Um, I eventually decided to focus on it as my career choice around year 11, year 12. Mm. And I went to the con um, and that's where I started accompanying singers for the first time. Sydney Sydney Conservatorium. Yeah, the Sydney Conservatorium. And yeah, it was really cool. I only got to accompany art song at the beginning just because I was at the con high school, conservatorium high school and so the singers there were focusing more on art song at the time Mm. and then through that i realized i really um enjoyed accompanying the voice and the more i accompanied the voice the more i got to um meet and encounter opera Mm. and that's how i got exposed to the art form and so i was working um as an accompanist in sydney and eventually I just decided, oh, well, I might as well try out auditioning in Germany. Mm. And so I auditioned in Stuttgart and I got it accepted there. Your ja, Hochschule? Yeah, the Hochschule für Darstellung Kunst und Musik. <laughs> Ooh.
1: Very good. Yeah. Martin has really good German. so. Oh, we'll yeah, see. That's yeah. <laughs> no, top notch.
3: Yeah, the beers help. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I sort of got my first formalized training as a repetitor in Stuttgart. So all my training is in uh, in the German education system. So Mm. um, it's been very interesting to kind of experience that um, in comparison to the repetitors that come from all over the world. Um, But anyway, so in terms of sort of the journey and the trajectory of my path, Mm. um, I was in Stuttgart for three years um, for a master's. Mm And there, I, I got to do one production. Um, Don Giovanni is a repetitor mm. And I got to also help out with La Boheme. Because the singers there, and they, uh, actually it was the conducting students. Um, the conducting students got the opportunity to conduct La Boheme, um, with the Stuttgart Philharmonie. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, really, it was really awesome, actually. And I think it was the head of conducting that got them that opportunity. And so... They needed singers. It was purely a workshop. It wasn't to be performed. It was purely. Really? Yeah. That's kind of cool though. I like that too. Yeah. Yeah. It was random that they can just like, hey, can you help our students out to learn? It's like, yeah, we'll play the whole opera for you. Wow. Yeah. It was amazing. And so the singers um, were from the Open Schule, the opera school. And my teacher, who's the head of the opera school there, um, said that they needed repetitors to help the singers learn their parts and stuff. And so I got to learn the whole labOM M and help them out with it. Um, actually, that got cancelled because someone got corona during the first rehearsal. Oh, You're Halfway through the first act, someone came out and said that one of the violinists that was there that day had corona. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, there were only two scheduled days for it. So that was just, you know, not enough time to check everyone. But, I mean, because I'm a repetitor. All my work was done anyway. So I actually got the <laughs> I got the full experience. <laughs> That's awesome. That was beautiful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was my time in Stuttgart. That was um, yeah, very fulfilling to have done two works on the standard repertoire. Yeah. Um and then I so I reached the end of my degree and I started looking outward for career opportunities or whether I should go home. Mm. And I found the audition for where did I go? I did a full-time repetitive audition. As my first audition, that was a bit dicey. That's pretty awesome, though.
1: <laughs> That's proper deep end. Yeah. Playing was... the full excerpts. and Yeah, yeah it was know.
3: true deep end. I didn't really know what I'd signed up for, and then I got there. <laughs> and then the artistic director and music director were both there. I was like, oh, crap, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember as a sight reading test, they got um a Hindemith audition. Opera, I forgot oh, which one it was, geez. but they just stuck it out in front of me and they said, all right, you have one minute. I was like, mate, you can give me 60 and I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so Los Gets, they. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they let me give a crack and yeah, it wasn't the greatest. I think, um, um, oh, I guess it's kind of a tangent, but I think what they were yeah. looking for at the time was <laughs> because it was absolutely crazy music. I think they just want to see what I would do under pressure, you mm. know, just to like keep the rhythm going or yes. something, even if it was like plop, 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 plop. No, no one's going to play that perfectly, right? Oh, at no. All, even if you
1: prepared it, you might not because you have so many pages to learn. Oh, no. Yeah.
3: Well, at least I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that audition happened. And then I auditioned for the Auckland studio in Zürich in Switzerland. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was pretty good. Um, but alas. Um, I didn't get it, but mm. whatever. And then I finally ended up in the Obshury Nveh, which is um, North rhine westfalen It's one of the states in eastern northeastern Germany. Mm. Wait, northeast. Sorry, Western Germany. West. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um Yeah, and I ended up here in the Opposition for the NVR, which is related to well, associated with Dortmund, Essen, Wuppertal and Girls in Kirchen. Mm-hmm. And
1: the, and the nearby theatres, I know they're not associated, but uh, Dusseldorf and Kern is not far. They're not far away from these theatres. Oh, these no. Theaters, yeah. Dusseldorf,
3: Hagen, Kern. Uh, Duisburg Duisburg yeah. Oh, yeah. There's one every three kilometres or something. Ah. <laughs> it's nuts here. Um That's amazing. Yeah, so I've gotten here and, yeah, I've just been sort of lucky enough to coach all the singers that get engaged with the four theatres. So the four theatres would then give these singers roles whether it be barone um from la traviata lorina from don pasquale um i think four of our singers were in sauber um the magic flute and that was really fun to work on um so yeah i got to coach them and help out with actually dealing and really get to know myself you know Mm. because i think in university a lot of repetitors kind of get an idea of what's supposed to happen Mm. but we never really get the chance to fully develop ourselves as a repetitor because there's always a professor who's kind of um doing a lot of the work and then we watch them and learn from them and it's only until we get into the workforce that we get to really train that part of ourselves and so i've been really blessed to have the last year just completely enhancing those parts of my skill set so that has been a real joy to work with and i've also been really lucky to um, one of the THC girls in Kyushin, they've let me have the opportunity to play in the, um, in the, what is it called in the Michigan, the grub? The oh, the pit. Yeah, yeah the, pit. the pit, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been lucky to play in the pit for a modern opera, and that was really cool, prepared piano and such.
1: Mm. And, and, and that's, sorry, that was four hands? Uh, or was it two pianists? Two four pianos. pianos. There were four pianos down there. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. So four of them. Right. So you all had your own. Yeah. How do you fit them all? Oh, I don't know, mate. <laughs> I, I didn't you know that. See, I never, w- I, w- I never walked down to the pit and had a look.
3: Yeah. Oh my goodness. That was nuts. I think there was a concert Yamaha, concert Steinway. I don't know what the other two were. What yeah. were you playing? I was on the Steinway. Lucky bugger. Yeah, that's what they said. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, that's the best one, mate. Can, can I just ask, <laughs> did,
1: they, did they prepare a Steinway?
3: Oh no! I didn't have to. So like, I just had paper that I inserted in and out. Oh, that's sort of preparation, right? Yeah, yeah. Did they prepare the other ones like with stuff? Yeah, or? they did. They had to insert pegs on in between the strings. Very specified stuff. So it had like a dook, 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 dook kind of thing to it. It was really cool. Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah, I gotta say, yeah, because yeah, um...
1: and, and we might just clarify. Can you just tell everyone what that opera was and about our mutual friend who was fabulous.
3: Oh, of course, yes!
1: Is there a lot of Australians, Australians listening to this? Yes, absolutely.
3: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so, first of all, the opera, it's called Bernardo Alba's House. Um, it's actually based off a Spanish play. I can't remember the original playwright. That was
1: uh, Federico Garcia Lorca. Oh, okay. the um, wrote Blood Wedding and all those sort of um, rural Spanish tragedies. Yeah, sorry, go on.
3: Absolutely. Um, so Bernardo Alba's House, um, it's, yeah, based on a play... And it's centralised around a mother, um, who's in charge of a household. Her second husband has just died, and it's a it's a very claustrophobic kind of thriller mm. sort of story. So the second husband dies, and it's set in I, w- I want to say eighteen hundreds Spain. Yeah, something say. like that. Yeah. Yeah, and so. Um, the second husband dies and she says, I'm going to instill an eight year mourning period mm. on the house. And she has a very tight uh, tight grasp on her five daughters. Mm.
1: And it's all all women in this cast.
3: Yeah, all women in the cast. And so it kind of starts to talk about sort of um, depictions of society, I guess, through the lens of this mother's grasp on these five children. Um, and they're always constantly looking outwards to find the best suitor for them, um, the best male suitor in the village. Mm. And so they you find out gradually, you never actually see the male suitor. It's all really just from the lens of inside the house, inside mm-hmm. the fights between these six and more women. It's very interesting. But So the richest of the family, um, because I said before that there was a second father that died, but the first father, I don't know what happens to him, actually, but he's not in the picture anymore. Mm. And the first daughter of the family, the eldest, is from the first father. the, And so she got a very rich inheritance. And so all of the other sisters are incredibly jealous um, of the first sister. And the first sister happens to attract the attention of the best suitor in town. Mm. And it's been a massive sort of boast fest about that. Um, but actually, we find out later in the play That one of the other daughters, Adela, that's the name of the, um, the second daughter about Mm. to talk about. Adela has actually had an affair going on with the suitor,
1: Mm.
3: and who who never appears in the piece. Never appears in the piece. So you get very, uh, you get varying images of this man. Mm. It's very interesting to deal with, and so the whole family finds out, and um, uh, towards the end of the play they go outside because they hear that he's approaching or he's around the house. Mm. And so they go outside and one of the sisters carries in this production, carries a gun outside Mm. and then you hear a gunshot and the sister and the maid comes back in and they pretend that they've shot and killed him. Yes. Yeah. And so Adela in her, in an intense motion, uh, intense, um, moment of sadness, she goes and hangs herself Mm. and it's a very emotional part. Mm. And, they bring it back in, and the mother goes. Um, you will all cry in your own time. Mm. The dignity, the dignity of this house will be preserved. Mm. Um, and if everyone, if anyone asks, this Adela mm. died a peaceful death, mm. undisturbed, and she died a virgin. Yeah, it's
1: insane. It's, uh, full on, isn't yeah. it? And that was that was a fabulous uh, portrayal by Catherine Allen. Exactly, who, who was. Uh who studied Sydney Con and, and did her studies also in the UK and is now now working at Gelsenkirchen doing this role. Yeah, very exactly. Very powerful,
3: you know. Very, very powerful. Um, the music itself, it's it's such a demanding yeah, voice. Yeah, and part. it's uh, Aribert Reimann, right? Yeah, Aribert Reimann. Aribert Reimann. Premiere premiered for the first time at uh, the Bayerische Staatsoper. Um, 30th of 2000.
1: October 2000, here we are. And it's two hours, 15, no pause. <laughs> and that was, I must say, from the audience, very sort of distressing. <laughs> Particularly when you need a drink and to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so that was a fabulous part. So tell us about the, that experience of playing in the pit versus playing uh, for these rehearsals. Because you didn't have to play, my understanding was you didn't play the rehearsals, the stage rehearsals. Because you've been working on this other one, Jordan, and Daniel. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and various other things, of course um in the busy life of a rep but what was it like was this your first time playing in the pit of like this sort of piece yes yeah yes definitely
3: i i was <laughs> i was in the modern music ensemble in the university oh yeah once yeah. yeah so what piece did you do there oh, i can't remember <laughs> they were
1: awesome though i used to go to their concerts it's a yeah. real shame about five people would turn out on a friday night because the music was so good
3: really yeah yeah well at least what? when i was
1: there but Modern Music Ensemble is just fabulous. Maybe they get more, did they get more patronage when you were playing? Or?
3: Um, I can't remember to be honest, but mm. I felt like there was a sizable audience. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least 30. Mm. Yeah. Um. That was in 2014, I want to yeah. say. Yeah, right. All right. It's a very long time ago. Mm. Um, but in terms of playing in the orchestra pit in a theatre on a massive stakes level, I suppose. Mm. This is my first time. Yeah, and <laughs> I guess like already there, just in terms of the pieces, the repertoire, mm-hmm. there was a massive difference because you know when I'm usually in a uh scenic rehearsal, so yep. say? yeah, in a scenic mm-hmm. rehearsal, um, I'm usually playing everything. I am the orchestra, mm-hmm. so I know how it goes, and then um, I focus on the conductor, but otherwise, I don't have to listen for another part, or mm-hmm. I don't have to count, um, and usually it's something very tonal. Yeah. So I know exactly what's going on in the music and I want to come in. But in this type of music, it was very interesting. Um, it's impossible to memorize this music <laughs> before the first orchestra rehearsal, you know? <laughs> you mean for the singers? Sorry? For the singers, you mean? Oh, it was incredible. The singers, um, yeah, they memorize it eventually. Yeah. But unlike other productions where they memorize it like before of course, yeah. the orchestra comes in, before the scenic rehearsal starts, here, even after the performance, and still it's the fourth performance um of seven, I think, that we're wow. on right now. Yeah. And every time they go backstage, all this thing is telling me, in between, like whenever they're not on stage, they open up the score and just revise what they're about to see. What? Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, all of them. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. It it's... must
1: must be harder too when the performances are spread out over over time. You know, people coming in for one performance and then they have to come back next week or?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think the premiere helped a lot. I mean, they still look backstage, but I think before the premiere, everyone was like, is this possible? (laughs) (laughs) Like (laughs) strap on your seatbelts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then after we did it once and like, okay, we know it's possible. Yes. And yeah, but I can't imagine because I'm already stressing out in the pit. You know, I just got a few plop, plop, pop. Just sort of plucking strings here and there, but I'm always looking at the score and the conductor. And, and, just... and, and was there a sopranos? No, I don't
1: oh, think there was a sopranos. I didn't. I didn't, nah. I didn't see a box that. No, nah, there wasn't one. But there was for that production of Billy Budd they did. Yeah. Yes, because I saw the prompt box up for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's how silly is that? Can I just say? Yeah. Why would you give all the guys in Billy Budd? <laughs> the the prompt, the souffleza. Yeah. Why would you cut it for the hard one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor ladies in, in that in um banana albusa's my goodness. <laughs> yeah, unglaublich. Would that unglaublich yeah, <laughs> as we keep saying. But yeah. do you think that would have been helpful? Or is it better for the singers just to like the singers in this situation to just really know their parts, trust themselves and, and the conductor, I must say, from what I could see of the conductor, it's hard to see from where I was sitting, no. but he was doing the pointing mm. and the cueing, and you're in now and blah, blah, blah.
3: Yeah.
1: So did you think that was kind of helpful that they just had to know, be really confident with it and know that they don't have a souffle zone? Is
3: um, that good pressure or bad pressure? I think the staging, thankfully was quite, um, it wasn't as packed in, you know, it wasn't an over theatrical one in the sense that they were constantly moving and doing stuff yeah. and they couldn't look at the conductor Yeah. and the conductor, who's very experienced in, um, modern music. He's actually a petit tour in Hamburg, mm. but he's gotten a massive reputation for modern music. Right. So he gets contracted everywhere. So he's very conscious of it and he cues everything so yes. in a ways. It's <laughs> yeah. almost a human like yeah. another I don't know I can't say the word but mm. yeah yeah. Mm. Um mm-hmm. and so he cued absolutely everything mm. because there are lots of moments where um he keeps it really free but he needs to keep it roughly within structure of what the orchestra needs and again because it's a modern piece Mm. um the orchestra has no idea when the singers come in Mm. so we don't know whenever anyone else makes a mistake we're just all floating there just looking at the conductor and then we'll hear the what's called in english the footnote orchestra footnote it's well we just see other instruments parts Oh, the
1: score. cues. Yeah, the cues in the score. Yeah, that's right. Like the Einsatzer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that what you say? Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, So we see the cues going on, on my own score. The trumpet's got... <laughs> oh, i got to get ready. But aside from that, I don't know what the rest of the orchestra is doing. And the same with the singers sometimes. Mm. Yeah. So the so he really had to hold everything together. Wow. Yeah. And, so... and
1: tell us what he said about subdiv- subdivisions uh, with your part, about trusting it. That's
3: a, that was a really interesting thing you told me about. Tell, tell everyone about that. Oh, that was really interesting. Because you'd think with modern music, well, at least for me, Yeah. I thought that when I saw my score, I was like, oh, God help me. I was bad at maths in school. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, let's give this a go. And I really tried going, like, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, whatever it was, getting everything. And then I get to the rehearsal with the four pianos. And um, he was conducting massive schlager beats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just absolutely massive strokes and at first we were like oh you know this feels a little bit vague mm. and so the first thing he said was um oh yeah you know like um, all these rhythms are very intense and mm. very very um uh erratic yep and he said um the reason why i'm conducting this well he didn't exactly say it like that mm. but i'm paraphrasing the i'm giving you massive um massive beats yeah massive schläger." Um, so that you can just fit everything in these massive strokes, and so just um, if it's one, two, three, four, five, four five, you can just feel it as a semi-quaver and just fit it in towards the end of that stroke. Mm. And at first, you you could hear that and think, oh wow, that's um, you know, it's a bit uh, loosey goosey. Thank you. But <laughs> if you if, if he had yeah. a clear, and well,
1: he did from what I saw, if he had a clear ictus, like clear downbeat in the same spot, you can fit it in, can't you?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And actually what I started to feel later on in the orchestra is that, um, it gave everyone sort of the space to musically work with their own instrument, mm. because if everyone's really stressed about ah, yeah. well, The articulations
1: yeah. will be awful. Yeah. And it
3: yeah. gets very tense, but mm. I've found that with this conducting because we could just fit it in anywhere then we didn't really have the stress. and We could focus more. And be a little bit more flexible with the sound. Mm. And actually, because the, the composer is still alive and they chat, the composer said, um, um, you just make it your own. And when so the, he said, when he composed this piece, he doesn't necessarily want it to always be the same. Right. And he said, yeah, just go and take it and make it your own and play it completely freely. Mm. Yeah, whatever's comfortable for you, because I want to hear different versions of it, basically. Yeah, just, yeah so... And
1: and if he's a good composer like this guy, absolutely was, mm. the music will sort itself out. Mm. You know, if the parts are written right, and the balance was so good, he kept the orchestra low. Yeah,
3: everything
1: was everything was just. But that, that theater is just wonderful, Gelsenkirchen, isn't it? I mean, you know, we saw yeah. Billy Budd there. It's just absolutely wonderful.
3: Yeah, it's wonderful. I guess to any of the Sydney siders that are listening, mm. Gelsenkirchen, at least from uh, from my eyes. It's roughly the same size as Eastwood, and they happen to have a massive opera theater there. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. Just, yeah, yeah, 400 seater, I think, something massive. And That's they have, massive, yeah. Yeah, they have Billy Budd Bart- by Britain, Don Pasquale, um, Carmen, yeah. all these shows going on. It's amazing. And they don't
1: do cuts, like they do the full whack, I think. you know, Oh, yeah, do they all do. The the time. Full... It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, you, your London's Theater and stuff like that, sometimes I'll do them with cuts. But yeah, these guys are these guys are incredible. Yeah, and they're you don't... all about it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So tell us about uh, this All Pound Studio. Probably got another sort of six minutes or so. Tell us about overall what, apart from that fabulous experience, which I'm glad we went into detail on because it's different from what um, our other reps have spoken about. Um, Tell us about the experience of, of the opera studio And what it was like to
3: work between the four theatres What was your schedule like? Ooh. Um, okay, so I guess I'll just go from the start sure. Because sort of my role and my duties every day Started to change over time mm. So opera studios um, serve an educational purpose A developmental purpose for repetitors especially Um, so I was lucky enough to work under Robin Phillips, um, Mm -hmm. musical director of, um, of the opera studio. And he's a seasoned professional that worked in Mannheim and other cities around Germany as a Codepetit And, um, yeah, it's just wonderful. So Mm -hmm. when I first started, um, I was playing a lot for his coaching. So he would coach and I would play the piano and I'd absorb a lot of what he was doing. Um... And so... Do you learn how to coach from him, partially, as
1: well as at your time in Stuttgart?
3: Yeah, partially, yeah. I think, um... Because he wouldn't necessarily give me a structured lesson and be like, you know, Repetitorship 101. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Point to these, like, never say this. No, it was nothing like that. <laughs> it was more so i kind of get to, um... see what he was doing, which I guess I also got in Stuttgart, but he was a lot more... well, oh, what's the right one? Uh... I guess he addressed me a lot in the situations in the sense where um, he would say something to a singer and then he'll turn around to me and sort of explain why he was saying that. Mm. Yeah. And all the singers are lovely people and they, they all realize it was a educational place Mm. for them as well. So we were all learning from each other, how we both functioned Mm. and helped each other out. Um, so that was a bulk, probably two months. Was, yeah,
1: and then you moved on to individual coaching and playing as a rep in these, in the productions. Yeah, exactly.
3: I think it was a very um, gradual process transitioning into that role because what Robin did um, was that he asked me to go and watch a lot of auditions. I mean, not auditions, sorry, um, rehearsals. Oh, right. Yeah, um, staging rehearsals at the four theatres. So this is when I first started to interact with the four theatres because Robin would tell me to go there. And then just from going to the four theatres, you um, I just started to meet people, the mm. interdance, dance, getting bears, whatever. Mm. That was really great, um, and so I was sitting in these rehearsals, and Ron would be like, "Oh, what's your feedback?" And then I would say to him, and then he would say, "Oh, that's great." And then he would summon the singers to him if they had time, and he'd be like, "Oh, Martin has some ideas," <laughs> and I kind of shut myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, nice to
1: be put on the spot. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, I was like, mate, I, I told you confidence.
3: No, but um, no, it was, it was very good, and I really appreciate it now because um, I think at university I don't really get the opportunity to sort of uh, uh, strengthen my confidence. I guess as a representer, mm. because mm. you don't really get the chance to get direct feedback usually. Yeah.
1: Um, and if you get thrown in the deep end to be a, a normal contract rep, right? You'd be mm. expected to do coachings. And if you don't know what to tell a singer, like singers, I mean, I, I am a singer. so I'm about <laughs> to say this. Sometimes we're a bit pretentious and, and some of us have ideas. Some of us don't like a certain word that a rep will use. Mm. And we'll go, or a coach or anyone, or even a singing teacher. We go, oh, you're touching my technique. Oh, you know, you don't like the way I sing. So you're trying to fix everything. But you have to be able to strike that balance. And so did you find the studio was able to, sort of that experience with Robin and the singers, you were able to bridge that gap?
3: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I think um, would sort of try to figure out the right thing. So I mean, the first thing is to feel um that what you're saying has truth in it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and if you if you're not confident in it, if you feel like you're grasping for straws, then it's better to not say something. Yeah. Yeah. There's no point in making something up. You only say yeah. something to a if you feel like it's an absolute truth. or if if it's um. If it feels right by you. Yeah, it's
1: like an yeah. instinctual thing, you'd say.
3: Um Or is it more like from what you've learned? I'd say more from what I've learned. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um Yeah. You've you gotta sort of like work from what you know first. Mm-hmm. You know. It's like I've have I've only done some singing lessons. So I'm not gonna profess that I know all the technical ins and outs of the singer's body and yep. positioning and things. Mm. So I'm not gonna make up Stuff like you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your palate is whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you got to work from what you know first, and so that was really cool because I think once I started to learn what type of feedback to give, um, you know, and so it's my dad would always say, uh, he's a businessman, but oh, it's absolutely professional, <laughs> mm, mm. yeah. And he always said, um, best thing to do in the situation when you're working with people and giving feedback is. Never give feedback that implies, Mm. but give feedback that answers the question, what do you want me to do? Mm. Um, And so that was a massive sort of, uh, that sort of gave me the idea of how I'm supposed to structure my feedback. Mm. And then from being here and gaining the confidence, then I started to feel like, oh, well, what are the gaps in my knowledge? What can I work on? And what can singers help me with as well? Mm. Uh, I didn't just learn everything from Robin. I also learned from the singers themselves. Yes, yep. Yeah. Um, so and, was, and
1: just like a singer can grab you to work on stuff, you can grab them, right? Yeah. He said, like, can you sing this for me? Or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, it was quite a nice experience. Mm. Sort of trying to figure out that balance. Mm.
0: Um,
3: and so, yeah, after I sort of started getting to coach things i remember robin came in one day and said um oh yeah one of our sopranos is doing Lorena, which is a mm. massive character and up until then i was sort of doing the smaller characters in the opera it was like yeah here you go i was like oh are you sure it's <laughs> 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 like yeah you'll be fine and so that was probably my first big role yeah that right. i ever coached and worked on mm-hmm. um, and that was really cool because actually this thing I ended up getting um engaged as a full-time soprano in the ensemble yeah I mean, um, already before Marina, but, you know, I was kind of, I felt like I was contributing a lot. Yeah. Um, I was really, I think that was kind of the first big moment in my sort of career mm. in which I thought, oh, wow, I can actually help a singer, you know, I don't know if that makes sense.
1: That's <laughs> well, it's very empowering. I mean, you know, we need coaches because the reality is like, even on a, on a base level, we don't have ears that can hear our voice properly as singers. We really need the external ears.
3: Oh yeah. yeah, well when it's a part of your body you're an instrument It's hard <laughs> to hear that Yeah, <laughs> easy to take on a plane yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, No extra cost there
1: Yeah, that's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no yeah You fight. can fly <laughs> <on the> right <wrist. laughs> Yeah, exactly You're right, so um, What what do you think you've taken out mostly from The opera studio here in the NRV And what would you say to people who are looking at Becoming reps and, and coming to Say Germany
3: Ooh Oh
1: no, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> we can kick it on for another like five minutes. <laughs> okay. It's probably um, not enough time to pull that apart, but we can do this another time in the future. So Yeah, okay. Yeah.
3: Well, um I guess I'll answer first about the opposite. I think sure. Sure. the greatest thing this is a very personal thing for me, but the greatest thing I got from the obscure was confidence. Mm. Yeah, because um in Stuttgart, um I'm I wasn't really confident in um sort of asserting my own opinion on something. Yeah. And in Germany, they're very direct here. So if you kind of fumble around beat around the bush, you know. Mm. I think that maybe, you know, they don't really respond like, just tell me, mate. Yeah. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was always kind of struggling to like form an opinion and I, I could never really have the opportunity to say anything. And mm. so when, which is why I'm really grateful for Robin because he kind yeah. of gave me a process in which to sort of figure out how to say things and to get the confidence. So straight away on a personal level, that's the biggest thing I got from the opera experience. But for me, then, like, in terms of the musical or the career part of it, I suppose, um, oh, well, sort of encountering a new sort of level of um, singing, you know what I mean? Mm. Because, um, you know, it's different going from, like, a university to, like, the theatres and yeah. all that. And really learning how theatre functions, mm. I think. That was a really interesting thing for me. Um, oh, how can I talk about specifics in that regard um yeah because I think as a repetitor uni I think the transition from uni to the real world it's, mm. it's very big for repetitor mm. comparison to the singers yes yep. yeah and so a lot of the time in uni we're preparing ourselves for hypothetics mm. and then when you actually get to work with the theatres and coach singers for theatres then you start to sort of feel oh what's actually needed of me you know and Um, what do these singers actually need or what do they want? Um, so I really got to learn sort of, um, oh man, I can't even begin to summarize it. Um, but like working with the targets plan and all this sort of
1: thing. Oh yeah. The targets plan.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely brutal. You kind of get delivered what you're doing the next day, the day before. Yeah. You have no idea, but, um, it's an exciting life to live by a little bit chaotic, but you get used to it eventually, I would say. Um, oh, biggest in the office studio. Um, yeah. I, I, so <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really struggling to no, sort of no, no, summarize of and talk about it in specifics. But we have a good
1: idea about it. And, and just moving on, we can always like do this chat again and do, a, do a it more in depth on this. This first episode is a really more of an introduction to, to reps, to, mm. to our audience. But just tell us uh, finally to wrap us up. I mean if someone's considering you know, coming from solo piano to moving into collaborative or moving from collaborative to being a rep and all that sort of thing, you know, what are you, what are you saying to them? If they want to do that in the next couple of years before they come and try out for jobs and stuff, what's the most important thing they can start learning today for, over the next couple of years or so in preparation for coming to a, a studio as a rep?
3: Ooh, okay. Um, well, I would suggest if they're open to studying in Germany, mm. I'd highly recommend doing that mm. because, um, yeah, they're so much more exposed to a lot of things here, mm. and the repetitors here are just really top notch, and they're fresh from the theaters, yeah, and fresh from German theaters especially, mm. so that they know already what you have to deal with. Mm. Um, yeah, and then you also get introduced to the intensity. <laughs> yes. Because already in the Hochschule it's very intense, mm. um, so you get kind of confronted by a certain level of professionalism, mm. which is really cool. So I'd I would say like, if they're open to it, to studying here, yep. yeah, if they're considering mm. doing a master's, they recommend study here. Mm. Um, in terms of musical preparation, um, ooh. so there are, uh, there are a handful of um, sort of greatest hits of audition repertoire mm-hmm. for predators. The first one would be the Figaro, Act, finale, Act yes. 2 finale. Act 2 finale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, starts from the E-fight. Uh, <nhworff> hey, yeah. Because
0: yeah. um,
3: you have to learn how to play and sing the whole thing. It's yes. A, yeah. And it's the same with, is it Act 1 of Bohem? The beginning of Bohem? Act 1 of Bohem, Until the entrance of Benoit. Um, yes, yeah. and Act 2 of La Boheme... Up to and including Wolzetta's aria. Yes, starting uh, with the dum bum 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 bum. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, um, the more intense ones. But they're still included in the repertoire, um, but if you're auditioning for a Hochschule, um, it's not so important. But if you are auditioning for an opportunity, it's important. So the introduction, um, uh, the introduction and Octavian's aria oh, yeah. from Der Rosenkavalier uh-huh. by um, Richard Strauss. Um, the Meg Cena at the start of Electra. Ah yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Yudin scene from Zalome. Ah yes,
1: the yeah. Four, with four of them, and yeah, four or five.
3: Oh, the, the men shows I haven't learnt it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. I'm so. gonna say five. Yeah, that sounds like a nice number. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and um, the quintet from Carmen.
1: Yes. Yeah. Do you do you ever get asked for the um the flute flute quintet as well? I know it's a bit simpler to play, but you do need to know that one. I think.
3: Oh no, I
1: don't.
0: Really? Okay. No, I just never saw seen it on the list
1: once for a rep thing, but it might have just been a one-off. I don't know.
3: That's a good one though.
0: I I mean, I'd think, be down. Yeah. I don't think it would be <laughs>
1: as hard to play as Carmen quintet. Oh no, not far, not like, so, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely recommend learning those because yep. you'll need those for the audition. Okay. Absolutely. You need those for the audition. Um. They do sight reading arias too? Depends on the Actually, Openshury and didn't need sight reading. Really? That's probably why I got the job. <laughs> oh, that's Yeah, <harsh. laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, sight reading is good. I mean, I personally feel it because I'm not a good sight reader and I remember when I first auditioned at the Sydney Conservatorium, there was a sight reading test and I couldn't read just a wow. Schubert Yeah. Oh, wow. I couldn't do it. Um, And so it's very hard to practice sight reading. I know that people say you can do that and it's possible, but if you're like me and at the end of the day, you just want to game or chill out with mates, then Mm. it's not going to happen realistically. Mm. So if you could put yourself in situations where you're forced to sight read, um, then that would be a really good way to sort of boost that up because sight reading is pretty important. And um, with... (laughs) <laughs> I mean I'm not saying that everyone listening to this should like not charge the, um, not pay the pianist anymore or <laughs> well, like, not give them notice but you know <laughs> for the pianists out there if you can put yourself out and because I think actually what's more important it's not necessarily just sight reading well, mm. sight reading kind of implies just like seeing note and then yeah. just tra- getting that translation process from the brain to your fingers uh-huh. but actually as a repetitor, it's more about analysing quickly Mm. It's not necessarily like oh note here, play here, finger go. Brrr. It's <laughs> more, yeah, it's more so um, oh um, that phrase is different. That's a clarinet. The singers uh, need that. that yeah. You play,
1: yeah. Um, and like looking ahead and probably looking at the direction of the stems or something and, and yeah, understand or knowing the score beforehand that probably helps. The yeah. Study.
3: So um, I guess if you're new to sight reading, and you see Mozart and it's like and there's a melody but it's not loud it's just a small or something just a small violin melody a singer will actually need the articulation from the strings more and a bass impulse so if it's like and the melody if i'm sight reading first then that melody goes away because i know the singers need. yeah so it's kind of Learning to analyze quickly, mm. rather than just being like, oh, no, here, not here, note here, yeah. chord here, um, and then essentially the more experience you build, and like the more you put yourself in those stressful situations, you you learn. Oh yeah, that ties into what I learned at the theater. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because then you started when you're chucked into so many things at the same time, you think, oh, what do these singers need mm. when you're sight reading? Then, boom, you know, mm. this chord here, this chord here, this impulse here, and it, there's no one size fits all kind of thing. Mm. Um, and Christina was saying before I was chatting too was that um, you
1: get better and better as the show goes on if you have to play a what do they call it? Klavier Hauptprober? yeah help Hauptprober yeah right like you know you're gonna have to play pretty much everything then yeah so you're building up to that I suppose as well
3: exactly yeah um, I mean it's kind of crazy but every repetitive I've talked to you uses the rehearsals in which they're playing with as practice <laughs> and it's, it's a very good and healthy mindset mm. yeah Um, because as well like it starts to become a little bit unsustainable if you have to practice six hours a day and then rehearse six hours a day as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so you gotta. Um, that's sort of what. That's the strength of sight reading. Mm. I don't think people are necessarily looking for computers that can analyze and play. Uh, I mean, see a note and play a note. It's more so like how fast can someone analyze and provide support for the rehearsal. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's what that's what sight reading's for. So mm. yeah, um, learn. Some of these audition talks, but mm. prioritizing Figaro. Everyone asks for Figaro. Mm. Everyone will always ask for Figaro. Absolutely. Um, putting yourself in situations where you can kind of learn how to be adapted to situ- situation, improving your sight reading and your analysis. Um, I guess the third thing I'd probably say is, um, if you can, um, just learn one of the romantic languages. Not mm. necessarily. To be able to speak it in vocabulary although that's always a good thing um but the phonetics rules of it mm. yeah and this one um this one's possible to learn overseas and it's it's possible to learn while you're at the Hochschule but um <laughs> so German hochschulers don't do IPA mm. it's it's a weird thing for me I'm English not just touch- a phonetic alphabet yeah, yeah yep. um where in which you break down the language they just say Mm. i just know how something sounds but if you're an aussie you know and you didn't grow up learning these other languages that's it yeah yeah that's
1: probably why castell wrote the the castell books with all the phonetics because we're talking about med opera america australia would do well at that even britain would probably do well at that but having the channel divide and all this but europe on the continent they will just speak everything yeah absolutely yeah
3: yeah and so i recommend sort of diving to learning um a language and the phonetics of it with IPA, and the reason why I say that, especially, I mean, I know everyone has to do it, mm. but as a pianist, uh, we never have to deal with that ever. Oh. And then suddenly we get here, um, and then it's just we're sort of expected to know it all. Mm. Yeah, um, so I highly recommend checking that out. Um, there are websites online, and there's no one size fits all. But the more you can sort of start to familiarize yourself. Um, with vowels and all this kind of stuff, I probably recommend starting with Italian to any piano listening. Mm. This because um, it's the easiest. Um, <laughs> actually, I remember getting very annoyed um, because I had to sort of find my own resources. Mm. And I sat myself down and I realized that there's only seven vowels in Italian. Others. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, all eyes, uh, all a's, eyes and o's. Sorry, or A's, I's, and U's yep. are the same, mm. but then all the there's two E's and two O's, yes, yep. yeah, and you just have to familiarize yourself with that. That's a 10 second lesson, yeah, you know, yeah. And, um, and you said, like,
1: when you learned that to me earlier, um, that it was just a light bulb moment,
3: yeah, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get it now, it's a massive moment, and yeah, because the German Hochschule system here doesn't use IPA, they won't mm. tell you that, yeah. And so, the more you can kind of kickstart yourself and as a pianist into learning sort of phonetics for yourself mm. then the easier it starts to become and when you learn sort of how a language works then it actually gives you a stronger idea of how something should be sung mm. it's important for both the singers and the pianists but mm. I think that's a very foreign element at least it was to me mm. when I started doing this so getting to learn a language is really good um, if you're coming to Germany then obviously German is yeah good language to- <laughs> To start with. But in terms of educationally and just introducing yourself to the idea of how to tackle phonetics, mm. Italian is by far the best place to start. Mm. Mm. Okay. Very so good. Yeah, those are the three pieces of advice.
1: Great. I'd probably give. It's very good. Well, we're going to have some uh, busy aspiring pianists now running to the library or searching online for the latest IPA chart <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> for every language under the sun. Uh, yeah. yeah. Martin, is really good. Thank you so much. Oh, and so, um... Yeah, we might do this again. Might do a more in-depth one later on at some point. But that was um, really helpful. And uh, thank you for your time.
3: Oh, cheers. Well, thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to So You Think You Can Belto. We thank the artists who have donated their time to make this information available to our audience.
1: Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform and follow us on social media. Our handles and links are in the episode description.
0: If you have a topic you'd like covered, a question you'd like answered, or you'd like to recommend a guest, please get in touch with us at SoYouThinkYouCanBelto at gmail.com.
1: You can also support us with a little donation which will go towards thanking our interviewed artists.
0: Ciao a tutti.
1: Ciao.